millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. 
future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Hey, the hey ladies and gentlemen. And Accordingly, more than half of Ms. Lake's contest claims should be dismissed on latches alone. Okay, so this just fired up, but it just started. We are live now. I'm going to have to be in the background. Uh, I got the baby with me. The wife's had a hair appointment, but I'm going to be listening. Okay, so we're going to play this. It looks like they got they were late getting the live stream up, but this is already they're already giving oral arguments. It's supposed to go one hour each side. Okay, so I'm going to step out. Other claims are simply out of bounds in an election contest. And Ms. Lake does not dispute that the contest statute provides only a limited set of remedies for a limited set of claims. But instead, she asserts that these statutory limits are easily surmounted by liberal pleading standards and joinder rules. But Ms. Lake's attempt to shoehorn a host of constitutional claims into the confines of this highly circumscribed and highly expedited proceeding must fail. Arizona precedent has been unwavering. Ms. Lake cannot point to a single case that has allowed extra statutory claims or extra statutory remedies to be litigated in an, ex- in an election contest. To the contrary, courts have consistently held that strict compliance with the contest statute is mandatory to guard against precisely the kind of freewheeling claims that Ms. Lake asserts here that can prolong an election contest and subvert the strong public policy in favor of stability and finality of election results. The court should not indulge the variety of constitutional claims in the complaint that air grievances well outside the bounds of a valid election contest. So turning now to the actual claims allowed under an election contest. In order to establish an election uh, or establish uh, to set aside an election or to declare somebody else the winner, a contestant must establish either fraud or that the alleged misconduct or illegal votes actually affected the outcome of the election. Here, Ms. Lake does neither. The word fraud is sprinkled freely throughout the complaint to refer to everything from the supposed injection of ballots at the Runbeck facility to the hacking of voting equipment by unidentified non-government actors. But despite the the complaint's cavalier use of the term, Ms. Lake states in her response brief that she is not actually alleging fraud. Ms. Lake has thus disclaimed one of the two bases for election contest relief. Ms. Lake's response brief, however, fails to recognize the real significance of this concession. Anyone reading her brief might think that she has found a loophole to the election contest standards that has apparently eluded courts for over a century. According to Ms. Lake, she need not plead fraud or meet its heightened pleading standard, but need only pleads quote, intentional conduct to set in motion the machinery of this court. But that is simply wrong. There is no end run around the legal standard for an election contest. Unless a claim falls into one of two buckets, either fraud or a sufficient number of votes to affect the outcome, it fails. But even assuming the court could entertain Ms. Lake's intentional conduct theory, for an election contest. Let's step back for a moment and examine what kind of inferences Ms. Lake is asking this court to draw. 
According to Ms. Lake, there was a concerted, coordinated effort among signature reviewers, Runbeck employees, and Maricopa voting machine technicians to rig the election against her. This master plot was deployed on election day precisely because more Republicans tend to vote on election day. And this intentional conduct against Republican voters was driven by the Maricopa County Recorder, who is a Republican, and the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, four out of five of whom are also Republican. And remarkably, this scheme took place among some scores of election officials and non-government actors without a single trace. No documents, no emails, no leaks. There is a reason that election contests do not entertain such far-fetched allegations of intentional conduct and instead require allegations of fraud with particularity as to the who, what, when, where, and how. This contest, more than anything else, shows us why courts demand nothing but the most credible, positive, and unequivocal evidence of fraud to cast doubt on election returns. Given the severity of the consequences, nothing less suffices. So finally, we turn to the last basis for election contest relief, that the actual election results would have been different absent the alleged errors. Now, in most election contests, the contest hinges on 10, 20, or 50 votes that decided an election and whether they were lawfully counted or impermissibly excluded. Here, by contrast, Ms. Lake must overcome over 17,000 votes. Ms. Lake points to two things to sustain this claim. First, a slew of voter declarations, and uh, second, a purported expert of Richard Barris. But the court will sift in vain through pages upon pages about declarations for any evidence that any votes were unlawfully counted or any voters were wrongfully turned away. At most, those declarations state that a handful of voters chose not to vote using the means available to them on election day. As for the Barris declaration, the flaws in the report are many and deep. Our reply brief touches upon just a few of them, but perhaps most egregious is Mr. Barris's sheer speculation about what might have happened if voter turnout had increased by 2.5%, a number that is pulled entirely out of thin air, and by his own deeply flawed calculations, somehow gets him to a lake victory. One does not have to be a mathematician to detect the circular logic of this report. Ultimately, Mr. Barris's unremarkable conclusion is that if more voters had turned out for Kerry Lake, Carrie Lake would have received more votes. That is not sufficient to overturn an election or meet the standard here. At the end of the day, all of the speculations about what might have been or what could have happened have no place in an election contest. It is not enough to simply raise questions to engage the judiciary in resolving them. An election contest is not a thought experiment or a means to test various hypotheses. It is a narrow, targeted, and expedited form, forum to consider serious claims that despite all the presumptions in favor of election results, election officials got the count wrong. 
Ms. Lake does not come close to meeting that standard here. In the end, Your Honor, if there is anything rotten in Arizona, it is what this contest represents. For the past several years, our democracy and its basic guiding principles have been under sustained assault from candidates who just cannot or will not accept the fact that they lost. The judiciary has served as a bulwark against these efforts to undo our democratic system from within, and we ask this court to assume that role once again. We also submit that the law requires the immediate dismissal of Ms. Lake's complaint. Unless the court has any questions, I'll reserve the rest of my time. Thank you, Your Honor. I presume it'll be Mr. Olson arguing. Um, yes, Your Honor. I'm sorry. But I didn't know if other counsel wanted yeah. to go. Go ahead. Your Honor, thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Thomas Liddy for Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and the Maricopa County Recorder, Stephen Richer. Um, our papers are clear and they're thorough, and I don't want to waste this court's time um, going through the material that's presented in those papers. But I do want to point out a couple of things for the court. One is a claim by the plaintiffs that there are Republican voters out there somewhere that did not get a chance to vote the 26 days prior to November 8th and did not get to vote between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. on November 8th. That issue has already been presented to the Superior Court of this county, Your Honor, um, in Republican National Committee versus Sellers, CV 2022-014827. On November 8th, um, Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Timothy Ryan found that there was no evidence that anyone who should have been able to vote at any one of the 223 vote centers was prevented from voting. And we would ask the court to take notice of that. In addition, I'd like to mention that now six weeks later, Plaintiff Lake has had an opportunity with her team of lawyers to go out and gather up affidavits and nothing's changed. There are 120, 130 affidavits of voters, uh, all but two of them say they Voted, weren't happy about their experience. Lines might have been long. Um, their ballot might have been counted down at McTech, uh, down at Central Count, the county Central Count, rather than at the vote center itself, which is a luxury that's not available to all Arizonans in every county. Um, I also want to mention that there's not a single allegation of misconduct that's supported by a single fact, and that's an obligation for the contester to show. There's no misconduct at all, um, and no facts that support it. Your Honor, a challenge to the signature verification process in Maricopa County is properly brought before the election, not after the election, but the process of the election. That was known to a plaintiff, and she should have brought it. So latches should apply. If the court disagrees with Maricopa County on that point, the evidence brought to this courtroom about that issue is evidence from 2020, Your Honor. Signatures in 2020 on green ballot affidavits. And that, Your Honor, was also already adjudicated in Ward v. Jackson in 2021. And we would ask the court to uh, take notice of that. 
there are numerous other issues that are not properly brought before this court because it's this court's hearing an election contest, things like freedom of speech. And if I may indulge the court for just a few more minutes, um, the one I find, uh, my clients find the most odious, and that is a claim that there has been voter suppression in Maricopa County in 2022. If there's one thing that Americans know, it's what voter suppression looks like, Your Honor. Voter suppression looks like the nearly 3,500 African-American men who were murdered, beaten in front of their families, and hanged from trees between 1865 and 1933. Documented lynchings. Not just to prevent those African-American men from voting, but to terrorize their entire community so they wouldn't even want to register vote. That's voter suppression. Every American knows that. The Department of Justice in this country was started by Ulysses S. Grant for the primary purpose of ensuring that African Americans got their civil rights. Why? Because primarily voter suppression. In 1965, the the Voting Rights Act was passed and signed by Lyndon Johnson. Every American should know that, and certainly every Republican. And the the plaintiff aspires to be a leader of the Republican Party. The Republican Party was founded to free African Americans from bondage, and eventually, during Reconstruction, to give them access to the ballots. And that's seen by the passage of the 15th Amendment. And in From 1865 to 1965, voter suppression frustrated that goal. And in April of 1965, 111 out of 132 Republicans voted for that act. That act was extended in 1970 by Richard Nixon of the Party of Lincoln. Again, in 1975 by Gerald Ford, Party of Lincoln. Again, 1982, for a 25-year extension. Ronald Reagan, Party of Lincoln. And again in 2006, another 25-year extension. George W. Bush, Party of Lincoln. Why? Because voter suppression continued to exist in this country. And I haven't even mentioned the suffragettes from Seneca Falls that fought for over a century so women could vote. That's all voter suppression in these United States. That's what voter suppression looks like. A Republican today who claims he or she couldn't find a parking place to vote, as one of the affiants said, or I didn't want to vote the 26 days prior to the election and the lines were too long on the 26th day, or anybody who would claim that a printer malfunction at 70 out of the 223 is voter suppression is insulting to this court and insulting to all the men and women who went, African-American men and women who went for hundreds of years without the vote. And that is an odious argument, and it is frivolous, Your Honor. Thank you. Your Honor. Uh, Good morning, Your Honor. Again, Andy Gaon on behalf of Secretary Hobbs in her official capacity. I will be very brief. 
and want to focus the court back on one point that Ms. Khanna made, which is that plaintiff has now disclaimed any claim of fraud in this case. And she did so on pages six and seven of her, her consolidated response to the motions to dismiss. What that means, Your Honor, and what it highlights is that the burden on an election contestant to show that the outcome would be different is high and is unsatisfied here. This doesn't just matter for this case, Your Honor. It's about the stability of our election system and the strong public policy espoused in the case law that relates to election contests that favors the finality of election results. To allow, as plaintiffs urge here, an election contestant to inspect ballots and proceed to trial on the mere declaration, either that a result is simply uncertain in their view, or that the number of affected voters is somehow unquantifiable, would open the litigation floodgates. Every election could be contested and proceed to trial. And that simply should not and cannot be the rule, Your Honor, in terms of to uphold that strong public policy favoring the finality of election results. Thank you, Your Honor. Very well. Now we're at Mr. Olson. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Let me first start out by saying what this case is not about, since defendants have attempted to frame it to suit their purposes. This case is not about ballot on demand printers not being certified by the EAC. This is not the same case as Representative Mark Fincham brought. That argument is a red herring. We're not here to talk about whether the EAC gave proper certification to the ballot on demand printers. There have been many elections in Maricopa County. They have gone out largely without a hitch in terms of the machine problems that we experienced or that Maricopa County experienced on November 8th. You normally don't have chaos, as Supervisor Gates characterized the election shortly after November 8th. This is not something, I believe it was referred to council as a routine technical issues. By their own admission, they had 70 vote centers experience failures of the tabulators where they were rejecting ballots at a time of record Republican or record voter turnout, predominantly with Republicans. Our own evidence from sworn affidavits is that there was 132 vote centers. That's two thirds of the vote centers experienced the tabulators rejecting ballots, creating chaos and mayhem. And chaos was Supervisor Gates' word. It's not a case about flawed signature verification procedures. Defendants create that out of whole cloth in order to argue latches. It's not simply about defendants reporting misinformation on social media posts. And it's not simply about breaking chain of custody rules without a corresponding unexplained appearance of election outcome altering votes. What this case is about is Maricopa County officials and the Secretary of State doing things like ignoring their own detailed procedures, such as testing 
the ballot on demand printed ballots before an election to determine whether or not those tabulators will function properly. It's about a system-wide, a systemic failure of the tabulators, which are critical to processing people's votes and taking their ballots, that again occurred at a minimum by their own admission at one-third of the voting centers in Maricopa County, and by our evidence, almost two-thirds. Those failures caused a massive disruption on election day. It's also about MTech's own employees coming forward for no personal gain. They have put themselves out publicly and taken great risk to expose the truth at what happened in MTech regarding the signature verification process. That signature verification process is systemically flawed. It allowed tens of thousands of illegal votes, which were not properly cured, to infect the system. And, Your Honor, we have submitted as part of this complaint thousands of examples of that for Your Honor to see, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's about a massive chain of custody failure, and not just in this election, but as A.G. Bronovich stated in his April 6, 2022 report to Senator Fan, this is a repeated issue for the county. They're on notice of these. And these are mandatory requirements by statute under 16621E. The county is required to maintain chain of custody every step of the way with the ballots. And it's a criminal violation not to do it. That's how serious chain of custody is. It's not some ministerial act. The EAC says that it is one of the, the chain of custody is one of the most critical features to ensure the integrity of the election. And what defendants ignored in our complaint is that on November 8th, if the chain of custody procedures had been followed, Maricopa County should have had an exact count of the number of ballots that they had. That's the process that the law mandates. On November 9th, they reported what they, what they, uh, the amount of ballots that they had. On November 10th, mysteriously, 25,000 extra ballots appeared. That's an outcome determinative change for which there is no explanation. And defendants have completely ignored that allegation in their brief. This case is also about a secret censorship operation set up by the government that would make Orwell blush. You have the federal government creating an election misinformation reporting portal specifically for state and local election officials, which ties them directly with social media companies like Twitter and Facebook and allows these election officials to immediately flag and take down information to censor people that they find objectionable. They call it misinformation, but this is a secret operation. This is an affront to the First Amendment, but it's more than just that, because there's evidence in the record that these officials, such as Stephen Richer, for sure, were participating in it during the campaign. And the uh, Defendant's Council made note that the Republic, the uh, Board of Supervisors is Republican. But Stephen, recorder Stephen Richer started a PAC that was directly antithetical to 
plaintiff, Carrie Lake. These First Amendment violations, Your Honor, move votes. And should this case proceed to trial, we will be introducing expert testimony just as how censoring information can quantifiably shift an election, particularly one with this. I mean, the the defendants say that there's 17,000 votes, that somehow this is insurmountable. But when you have 1.6 million votes, this is, I believe, about 0.6% difference, which is a tenth of a point out of the recount territory. Now, we're not seeking a recount, but the idea that 17,000 votes is an insurmountable hurdle in an election where there are 1.6 million votes, the math doesn't add up. And speaking of the math not not adding up, the MTech whistleblowers who came forward with sworn testimony, one of them said when he was reviewing the signatures and what they saw in the chaos in terms of rejection rates of 20 to 30 percent, he himself said that the math doesn't add up with his experience in the curing of ballots. And I'll touch on that a little bit later when we get into the R. So this is a motion to dismiss. And as much as defendants want to say the standard is different for an election contest as any other case, that's not true, Your Honor. The fact is, the Arizona Supreme Court has ruled that the motion to the standard where the court is to accept all well-pled allegations is true, to draw all reasonable inferences from those allegations, and to not dismiss the case if there is any claim that the court sustained is still the standard. I'd like to talk about the chaos on Election Day, Your Honor, and the evidence that we have put forward to support intentionality. We have introduced the uh, expert sworn declaration of Clay Parikh. Clay Parikh is not just any cyber expert. Among other things, he spent eight years being retained by the voting system testing lab, the Pro VNV that certified these machines for Maricopa County and many others around the country. He knows these machines. He's a top cyber expert who has been at the highest levels of a government working on cyber systems. He knows the rules, what EAC certification requires. He understands these machines. He knows systems. And he has given a sworn declaration that goes in detail how Maricopa County violated their own set procedures, both in terms of the pre-testing to ensure that the debacle that happened on November 8th doesn't occur. He has gone through the procedures that are supposed to happen if there's any issue on election day. He has interviewed the T-Techs and the other technicians that Maricopa County hired on a temporary basis. And as he said, you don't get, whether it's 70 vote centers or 132, as we say, you do not get that system-wide failure without intentionality. And again, Maricopa County violated the election procedure manual on logic and accuracy testing 
by using a ballot-on-demand printed ballot without testing it in advance. And that is at the heart of that chaos that was created on Election Day at all of those vote centers. You'll notice that they don't challenge, defendants do not challenge Mr. Parikh's qualifications. That's an important point, Your Honor, particularly on a motion to dismiss. They do challenge Mr. Barris. He is a recognized pollster for the Epic Times. He gave put forth, we put forward a 10-page analysis that's based on voter history in Maricopa County and in Arizona, based on the primary turnout, and actually based on questions that he was at, that he asked voters as part of the exit polling on election day, what did they experience in terms of the chaos on election day? He is a recognized expert Survey data is, per, is appropriate in any type of uh, an election contest or in other uh, litigation. His findings of between 15,000 and 29,000 votes of disenfranchised voters is something that is based in science and for purposes of a motion to dismiss the court should accept that as true and draw all reasonable inferences from that. That is outcome determinative. I would like to touch on signature verification because it's a, it's a very important issue here, Your Honor. Maricopa County processes well over a million mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots were, were determined by the Carter-Baker Commission in 2005 that was instituted after, everybody remembers the hanging chads if you're old enough, from 2000, to evaluate what happened there. And the Carter-Baker Commission determined that mail-in votes were, or mail-in voting was one of the most likely areas of voter fraud. And this is another reason why the EAC says chain of custody is so important. And A.G. Bronovich, in his April 6, 2022 letter, specifically stated that signature verification is currently one of the most important methods to ensure the integrity of this already uh, problematic method of voting in terms of voter fraud. The defendants raised earlier that somehow the 2020 ballots that are the 2022 2020 envelopes that were obtained and reviewed at the behest of the Senate were illegally obtained. And your honor, I just want to clear that up right now. Under 16168F, there was no improper uh, obtaining of those or accessing those images of signatures. It's perfectly appropriate. 16168F says that for signature, a voter's signature shall not not be accessible or reproduced by any person other than 
for signature verification on petitions and candidate filings for election purposes and for news gathering purposes by a person engaged in newspaper, radio, television, reportorial work, and or connected with or employed by a newspaper, radio, or television station or pursuant to a court order. This was done. These signatures were obtained at the behest of the Senate, given to we the people, who then performed a signature review that found shocking allegations. And what's shocking about those allegations is not because we're litigating 2020. It's because what they found supports and corroborates the testimony of the three MTech signature verification whistleblowers. That's the issue. This isn't about procedure. This is about what those whistleblowers, employees of MTech found and testified to under oath at great personal risk. And you'll notice, Your Honor, the defendants just kind of gloss over the signature verification. But this is such an important issue. I'd like to walk the court through some brief portions of the testimony of the signature uh, verification workers, the whistleblowers, and also expand on exactly why one of them said the math doesn't add up. And again, this is an area where tens of thousands of illegal votes were brought into the system. So, Your Honor, may I hand some exhibits to the uh, defense counsel and then uh, approach? Can we object to that one? I've already got the record in front okay. of me. And so if you want to cite to something that's okay. in the motions or the exhibits, I'm fine with that. Yes, Your Honor. But it's not the trial today. Okay. Well, Your Honor, there were three signature verification workers who submitted sworn declarations. Jacqueline Onikeet. Yvonne Nystrom, and Andrew Myers. And what Ms. Onick testified to was that there were 24 people reviewing signatures. Now, in her declaration, it's unclear whether they were all level one or it included level two and three. But what she did say is that at level two, there were at most three managers. And the managers after the level one signature reviewers looked at the signatures, would then take the rejected signatures and do a subsequent review. But again, there were only three. The rejection rate that she testified to was that 30 to 40% were being rejected by the level one reviewers. Yvonne Nystrom testified similarly. She testified at her location there were two managers at level two. Again, rejection rates of 35 to 40 percent. Mr. Myers, where the bulk of his job was involving ballot curing. So when a rejected ballot comes back, it goes through a curing process to determine whether or not the voter is actually who they say they are. And if that curing process does not result in a confirmation that it is that voter, that ballot is illegal and should not be counted. This is what Mr. Myers testified to as part of the curing process. Talked about the room where they were in. 
he was always told that they were going to be in for hell because they were processing about 60,000 ballots a day. Again, there's 1.3 million ballots. They were rejecting about 12 to 15,000. This is every day. And it would go up to level two. And he was told that your next day is going to be hell. But when it came to the next day, only about at most a tenth of those ballots came to him. So let's look at the math, Your Honor. 12 to 15,000 ballots a day are being sent up to level two because they've been rejected. 10% come back. That means about even taking the lower number of 12,800 or 12,000, 10,800 ballots were approved by the level two managers. You have at most three level two managers. That equates to 3,600 ballots per manager to review in a day. These level two managers, by the testimony, have additional uh, signatures on file to see if they can find a match. They have uh, tools that they can zoom in and everything else. If you assume they spent just one minute reviewing those each signature or each ballot envelope to compare, that would be 3,600 minutes. Well, that equates to 60 hours. Well, a day only has 24 hours. So what does that mean? Well, if it's 24 hours, that's about 25 seconds. And as Mr. Myers testified to, and these are his exact words, the math does not add up. Tens of thousands of ballots were being pushed into the system that should never have been counted. That is shown by the examples that we gave, Your Honor. And what is compelling, even more so about that testimony, where we put forward 5,384 or 387 ballots, I believe. Those were 2020 ballots with names that voted in 2022. And that's an extrapolation based on the sample a random sample that came from that would mean when you're counting 1.3 million ballots that that number extrapolates to about 130,000 total. So again, these are outcome determinative numbers. The defendants say that we haven't introduced thousands or hundreds of uh, declarations from people who said they were disenfranchised and didn't cast a vote. But if we had done that, Your Honor, then the defendants would have said, well, how, how do you know? And it's actually precisely that situation that the Supreme Court of Arizona raised in Huggins. Is that type of testimony is inherently uh, unreliable. But what we do again, offer is substantial expert testimony based in science that between 15 and 29,000 voters were disenfranchised. In terms of the chain of custody, we put forward sworn testimony 
from a poll observer at MTech who observed all of the trucks coming in on election night where there were no chain of custody seals, no chain of custody forms with all these ballots. Her testimony is also corroborated by a whistleblower at Runbeck who testified that she overheard a call from MTech asking Runbeck what the count was. Now, MTech is supposed to know that count because under Arizona Code 16621E, maintaining proper chain of custody means you know what the count of the ballots is. The other thing that the Runbeck whistleblower testified about is that Runbeck, which is not an authorized drop-off facility, allows its employees to cast their ballot there. Now, she did say it was only 50. She's very upfront about that. But the point is, there is no way to tell. And we've already shown that there is an unexplained, somehow they found 25,000 extra votes between November 9th and November 10th. And again, that's outcome determinative. So it's not merely speculation about a chain of custody violation. There's actual numbers there. And it could be far more than that. But their own numbers don't reconcile. And that's the point. And they don't reconcile in an amount that is outcome determinative. In terms of the constitutional claims, Your Honor, that were brought in this action, because this is a special action complaint and an election contest, there's nothing in the statute that prohibits those claims from being brought. The one case that the defendants cite, O'Donohue, regarding a, uh, the court rejecting a mandamus petition, under a mandamus position, the law says there is, you cannot have any other relief. That's, that's the, so mandamus is your only option. A court ruled that a special action was an alternative form of relief. That's not the same thing as the constitutional claims. So the constitutional claims are separate. The court is an appropriate venue under 1983 to hear under concurrent jurisdiction where state and, lo- state and federal courts can hear the same claim. And those claims are properly before this court. I think, in conclusion, Your Honor, what we have here and what we have pled with detailed allegations sworn testimony, MTEX or Maricopa County's own employees, both from the TTEX to the whistleblowers at the signature verification process. It paints and tells a completely different picture than what defendants have tried to portray to your honor. This again, we're not minor technical difficulties. You had, we have screenshots that we presented to your honor of text messages between TTEX where they're exclaiming, I'm having a 911 here. Um, you know, there are lines are, you know, out the door over a hundred people. Get me coffee, please. This was a systemic failure. So we, we are alleging systemic problems, a systemic failure for which there's been no explanation of. Maricopa County at least has not publicly, uh, announced any effort to get to the bottom of what happened. If you had, whether it's 70 or 132 vote centers go down to 
that stop people from giving votes, you would think that there would be a full investigation to find out exactly what happened. And there at least has not been anything publicly reported. Matter of fact, you've just heard your what they say here today is no big deal. Hey, you know, stuff stuff happens in elections. That's never happened before. I, I challenge anybody to sit and find in another event in time where set where tabulators at 70 or, or 132 vote centers, fully one third or two thirds of the vote centers ever went down like they did in this election. The same thing is true with the signature verification process. This is a systemic issue, Your Honor. These aren't a few people submitting bad signatures or somebody signing for their spouse. There are hundreds of thousands. 200,000, so I want to say hundreds, so of signatures that clearly don't match. We gave one example, Your Honor can you know pick randomly if he so chooses in the 5,000 that we submitted, you can be blind in one eye and half blind in the other and see that the signatures don't match. And it's not just a few. And that's the point, Your Honor. This is a systemic issue. In terms of the chain of custody, again, it's a systemic issue. These are not minor ministerial failings. Maricopa County has been put on notice time and time again that they're not following their procedures. And those procedures have criminal penalties for not complying with it. Yet they still persist. And we have shown in this election that there are 25,000 unexplained votes. These are systemic issues. These are not one-off issues. And this complaint is well-pled, well-sourced. It's under oath, it's detailed, and at the motion to dismiss stage, Your Honor should accept all those allegations as true, draw all reasonable inferences from them, and not dismiss this case. It should proceed to trial. The people should get to see. This is about restoring trust in our election system. Council brought up uh, voter suppression and tried to equate that uh, somehow this case is an affront because of what was done to African-Americans in the 1800s and in, in the 20th century as well. But voter suppression is voter suppression. People are disenfranchised. And they were in this election. Their rights don't stop. No matter who it applies to, the kind of debacle that occurred on November 8th should never happen. There are processes in place to make sure it doesn't. And the defendants didn't follow those processes. That's the point, Your Honor. And Your Honor, may I reserve a few minutes of my time if there's any uh, rebuttal that I would have? Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way, I know. <laughs> that before you asked. That's why you asked it so hesitant. Well, I thought I might try. But... Um, but thank you, Your Honor, for your time. Thank you, Mr. Rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. I just a few points uh, in rebuttal, and I'll make it pretty short. Council spoke about uh, mistakes about the election. He alleges that, uh, or Mids Lake alleges that Maricopa County failed to test 
systems in advance and that these led to systemic failures of tabulators. I think he said that several times. Um, now he says that they, this led to chaos and massive disruption. Um, and that that alone is enough to to overturn the election or to to bring this context. Now let's let's talk about what happened on election day. This chaos and massive disruption. This very issue about long wait times and printer errors um, was brought to a state court on election day and said, "Is this enough to keep polls open an extra couple of hours? Is there been chaos and ma- and massive disruption such that?" Uh, the rights of voters need to require an extra couple of hours. And the court said no and didn't have any trouble saying no. Courts do allow for provisions when there is real chaos and massive disruption. We've seen it happen all over the country where there's a hurricane, where there's massive power outages that somehow prohibit people from actually accessing the polls. That is not what happened here. A court found on the day of that it didn't warrant any extraordinary measures, it would be a far leap for this court to now, now find five weeks later that it that it was those disruption was so. Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now.
Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting mode, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com. Flare.com. So just so uh, massive uh, and so over, so extraordinary that it should be overturned well after the fact. But even if any of this, even if this were all true, let's assume all of this were true, that this chaos, this massive disruption and all these mistakes happen that that uh, council alleges, even then that is not sufficient to deplete an election contest. As the Arizona Supreme Court has made clear, honest mistakes, even gross irregularities, absent a showing of fraud, or that they actually affected the outcome of the election are not sufficient to sustain a contest. On the issue of intentionality, a couple of points, Your Honor. At several points, uh, I believe at one point, Ms. Council said that the Maricopa County Recorder, the various Republicans on the board, um, while they might identify as Republicans or affiliate with the Republican Party, their actions have been, quote, directly antithetical to plaintiff Carrie Lake. And that's a quote from what Council said today. But if you read the complaint, the complaint, is, I believe, alleges discrimination against Republicans. Council's shifting theory today is that, well, it's actually not about Republicans or even about Republican voters, but about Carrie Lake. So somehow these officials were able to target their intentional discrimination to a single race on the ballot that include many candidates, many Republican candidates, and target only Carrie Lake. This is not even coming close to alleging intentional discrimination, even if that were part of the standard, against any class of voters. Apparently, it is intentional discrimination against just one. On the issue of intentionality, I think it is very telling, Your Honor, that there that counsel provided absolutely no response about the legal standard for a contest. No response about the requirement to actually allege fraud and to do so with particularity. No response about the fact that uh, some of these these other kind of softer allegations, speculative allegations, just do not meet the bar in an election contest. Instead, counsel pointed to the uh, declaration of Mr. Parikh. Um, And accordingly, according to counsel, Mr. Parikh's, uh, well, I guess Mr. Parikh's conclusion was, you do not get that kind of system-wide failure without intentionality. That is his, his conclusion at the end of the day. One point, Your Honor, counsel did suggest that we have not challenged Mr. Parikh's qualifications uh, or expert testimony in this case. We That is absolutely wrong. There's just not enough pages in motion to dismiss briefing to, to bring all the many challenges we have to the evidence, to the purported expertise of their experts. And certainly that was not our responsibility or our burden at the pleading stage. But in any event, let's even assume for the moment that Mr. Parikh's conclusions are true. That, quote, you don't get that kind of system-wide failure without intentionality. That kind of conclusion only raises more questions than it answers. 
By who? Whose intention are we talking about? Intention to do what? What was the motive? How did they actually effectuate their intent? All of those questions are left unanswered. When it comes to the other expert that they'd offered in their pleadings, uh, alongside their pleadings, the Mr. Barris uh, report, uh, once again, counsel did not address the errors upon errors that we flagged in our reply brief. And those are just a few of them. Instead, he asserted that Mr. Barris's calculations are, quote, based in science. I'm not sure what science, uh, and I'm not sure what math. I am not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician. But even reading those seven pages, it is clear that the math does not add up. And that is a refrain that we heard from counsel several times over the course of this argument. The math doesn't add up. I couldn't agree more. When it comes to plaintiff's burden to establish that there or to allege that there is some number of votes out there that could actually affect the outcome of the election that were illegally or improperly counted or subject to some mistake, the math just doesn't add up. Plaintiff or plaintiff discuss discusses um, the declarant's view that some 30 to 40% of ballots were being rejected at level one. 30 to 40 ballots, percent of ballots. Now, there are at least two serious problems with this conclusion, Your Honor. First of all, level one reviewers are not able to reject ballots. All they are able to do under the procedures that have been in place for years is flag possible quote, exceptions for managerial review. It is only at those higher levels that ballots are ver that signatures are verified and deemed uh, accepted or rejected. But let's actually just look at those numbers for a second. Thirty to forty percent of ballots that these declarants allege should have been rejected. Nothing from the history of Maricopa elections, of Arizona elections, or nationwide elections has ballot rejection rates anywhere close to that extreme. Most of them fall well below a single percentage point. And yet here, plaintiff wants to offer this court testimony that over a quarter to nearly a half of Arizona mail-in ballots should have been rejected out of hand. If that were the standard, if that were the number, I think we would have heard about that long ago. I think every election would have yielded that kind of chaos if more, almost half of all signatures were rejected, forcing plaintiffs to scurry, uh, rather for, for, forcing voters to scurry to, to, to verify their, their votes or somehow suggesting some, some unprecedented level of fraud that has never been established. On the constitutional claims, Your Honor, I believe counsel either mis misunderstands our argument or misunderstands the law or both. Yes, state courts generally have jurisdiction to consider constitutional claims, but no, they may not do so in the course of an election contest proceeding, which has a, a limited set of claims that can be uh, determined in this highly expedited time frame. Last point I make, you'll make, Your Honor, um, is where counsel began was talking about chaos and mayhem. I think that was the that was the words that he chose. Chaos and mayhem is how he described what happened on election day. But chaos and mayhem doesn't even begin to describe what plaintiff seeks to unleash upon this court in 
uh, the course of a trial uh, over the, the next two days if this court were to allow it. Plaintiff has already identified some 18 witnesses that uh, they expect to, to march into court to testify over the course of their eight hours allotted to them, 18 witnesses to talk about uh, their belief about the various problems on election day that warrant overturning the elections. These include purported experts that we've not even heard from here, including an expert who apparently is going to explain to us how election tweets and disinformation add up to a specific number of votes that should have become outcome determinative. The court should not indulge this kind of a show that plaintiffs want to put on. A courtroom is not a theater. It is not a public broadcast. Um, and it is not a, a political platform. It is a court of laws and evidence and rules of procedure. And uh, we, the court should not allow this case to proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. This is going to come across more as a laundry list since I'm rebutting some specific points that were made and I, on my apologies on behalf. So first of all, Maricopa County does challenge Parikh's qualifications. Um, suffice it to say, he is purported to be a cyber expert who has worked at the highest levels of our federal government. Um, this issue from which he's brought in involves ballot-on-demand printers. I'd be more impressed if he maintained the printers at Staples. Uh, Your Honor, um, the, it was alleged here that there were 25,000 illegal ballots that mysteriously were dumped uh, into the ballot you know, uh, box in, at McTech. Where do these unexplained votes come? Well, I'll tell you where they come from, Your Honor. There are no ballots that were dumped. What happens is on election night, November 8th, and soon thereafter on the, on the 9th, early 9th, everybody wants to know what the turnout was. How many people participated in this election? So the Maricopa County Elections Department puts out an estimate as it's all coming in. They put out an estimate on that night of 275,000. But they also said there's a record number of mail-in ballots that were returned to vote centers on election day. And that's a good thing. We want as many people as possible to vote, but it does burden Maricopa County Elections Department, all the hardworking folks at McTech. Because they have to count them, and they count them, and they count them, and they count them. And then once they get the count, the estimate of 275 um, is 298,000, no longer an estimate, but an accurate count. That's not all of a sudden the creation of, of ghost ballots from wherever, I guess this is 2022. 2020 was a Korea, China, Serbia. It's something different in 2022. Uh, Your Honor, um, Arizona Republican Party versus Hobbs. The CV 2022-0059 in Mojave County Superior Court. The judge ruled after taking evidence that vote by mail does not violate Arizona law. So let's just put that to bed right there. Signature verification. Plaintiff contends that there are some affiants who worked in the um, MCTEC in the signature verification area. I want to make this clear for the court if this would be helpful. There are, there's a very robust process that Maricopa County has 
to comply with the Title 16 requirements to ensure that mail-in ballots and, and uh, green affidavit envelopes for people who drop off their ballots in ballot boxes are verified and comply with Title 16. These affiants were level one. They're, uh, they're employees that, uh, that, that are trained to take a look at the signatures next to each other. And that would be the signature on the green envelope and the signature that the uh, voter used when the voter registered to vote. And it could have been at a motor vehicle center or it could have been at a post office for that. They do the best they can. And if they're going to reject a ballot, rather than just deny that voter the chance to vote like that, it goes up to a second echelon, a level two. And there you have much more experienced, with much deeper training, and far more resources of county employees who work in the, election, in the recorder's office who will verify these ballots. And they will have more than just the 2022 signature and the signature from when the individual registered to vote. They'll have signatures from every single time that the voter voted um, by mail, all those other signatures, and often phone numbers and other things that they look at. Um, they can always reach out and call them. And, and there's a much more robust process. So that's why some green envelope affidavits that are initially rejected at level one echelon are then permitted once there's a deeper review of them. And there's nothing mysterious about that other than it should come as no surprise to this court or anybody else in our great state that not every employee is going to witness that process or be aware of that process or have training in that process. Um, th there was a challenge made to name any other election and where there were uh, problems with precinct-based, what I refer to as tabletop tabulators. Remember, Your Honor, not every county has tabulators at the vote center. Most counties, most places in the country, most places in the world, a voter goes, votes a ballot, folds it over, sticks it in the ballot box. That's true in Arizona, except in some counties. In Maricopa County, we have tabulators, two of them at each of the 223 vote centers. You fill out your ballot that you've gotten from your ballot on demand printer, and it comes out and it's perfectly readable to the human eye. It's filled out. You submit it into the tabletop or the precinct-based calculator, and sometimes they're kicked out, not just in 22. Every single election that we've ever had, they get kicked out if there's a stray mark on them. They get kicked out if there's a, a wet ink from a ballpoint pen, could kick it out. They get kicked out if there's a, an overvote. They get kicked out if uh, more now. Back earlier, we had the uh, arrows. You would connect the arrows with your black pen. Now you fill in the oval. A lot of people don't fill in the oval enough for the tabulator to read it because they're doing check marks or X marks. So it happens all the time, Your Honor. It's not just in elections where a ballot on demand printer. It doesn't put enough uh, ink on the timing marks of some ballots, as happened in some uh, vote centers, a minority of them in 2022. So challenge accepted. Again, back. Freedom of speech suppressed by Carrie Lake. Does anybody really believe that Carrie Lake was prevented from saying whatever she wanted to say to anybody in the United States, let alone Maricopa County? She could say whatever she wanted to say. Nothing inhibited that. Our recorder, Stephen Richer, spoke to a room of about 20 people 
My understanding was they were uh, they were bureaucrats, mostly in the federal government, who were interested in the issue of misinformation about elections. Obviously, there's a lot of people in every state and every level of government that are concerned about what we're seeing. Twenty twenty is a decreased confidence in the voting systems, primarily because of misinformation. And these folks wanted to hear from a frontline person, a recorder in a county in Arizona. What type of misinformation have you been hearing in your county? Well, in 2020, we had plenty. That is not government action to infringe upon the freedom of speech of Kerry Lake. And, Your Honor, finally, I would say, we, and it is in our papers, we have asked that uh, for leave to file for sanctions. And I would just ask that while you are, are taking up all these issues, if you determine uh, so to, to please don't fail from addressing that um, so that we can file for sanctions. Thank you, Your Honor. Yeah. Just a couple points, Your Honor. First of all, there was a suggestion from plaintiff's counsel that this side of the V is misconstruing standard for a motion to dismiss in the context of an election contest, and that's simply false. We don't dispute that the Arizona Supreme Court and the Arizona Court of Appeals have said that an election contest is evaluated under the Rule 12b-6 rubric and the Rule 8a standards. But that only solves part of the problem, because as with any claim, you not only evaluate under those standards, but you take the body of law as it exists. Putting those two together here, what that means is that not only can the court not make unreasonable inferences from the complaint itself, but it also has to apply all reasonable presumptions in favor of the validity of the election and must also presume that election boards and election officials operated in all times at good faith. We lay this out on the first page of the Secretary's reply, Your Honor, but our belief is that putting all of those standards together requires the dismissal of this case. I want to talk about a few um, claims that came up. And the first is what Mr. Liddy just mentioned with respect to the, the First Amendment claim and the suggestion that several staffers in the secretary's office two years ago identifying to a third party several tweets that contained election misinformation, including the objectively false suggestion that Arizona's voter uh, registration database is owned by a foreign entity, but that that somehow violated the First Amendment and that that somehow had an impact on the election. That is not a reasonable inference. It is objectively false, and it is uh, dispelled not only by the decision in the O'Handley federal case that we've cited in our papers, Your Honor, but Judge Julian just reached this exact issue last week in the case brought by Mr. Fincham in an order that's attached to the replies in support of the motion to dismiss. Mr. Olson got up here first and started by trying to explain to the court what this case is not about. And he said it's not about whether the ballot on demand printers used on Election Day in Maricopa are properly certified under federal or state law. That's certainly news to the secretary. Because paragraph 104 of plaintiff's statement literally says that the ballot on demand printers are not certified under federal law. Mr. Parikh's, uh, the supposed expert, Mr. Parikh's declaration makes that same assertion. It's also false. 
ballot on demand printers do not have to be certified under federal law. So to the extent we also uh, question Mr. Parikh's qualifications and exhibit one to the fact that he is not qualified is his apparent belief that ballot on demand printers have to be certified. Now, Ms. Khanna mentioned sort of a moving target of claims here, and I think that's what's going on because Mr. Olson followed that up by saying that actually what they're challenging about the ballot on demand printers is that they weren't tested properly in accordance with Arizona law or the election procedures manual. Never mind, of course, that nothing in Arizona law requires that ballot on demand printers be tested or go through logic and accuracy testing. And I would point the court to ARS 16-449, which requires logic and accuracy testing of the tabulation equipment and the election program to ensure that it will accurately count votes. That's it, not printers. Your Honor, as it relates to the early ballot signature ver verification and chain of custody issues, even if the court were to accept plaintiffs' rampant and unreasonable speculation about what occurred on there, that doesn't invalidate the votes at issue. And that's exactly what the plaintiff asks you to do. Your Honor, for four years, the secretary has served as Arizona's state chief elections officer. And in that role, she wants to ensure that all legally cast ballots are counted. And that's why she's here today to urge the court to reject plaintiff's invitation to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of Arizonans who did nothing wrong and who were eligible to vote. So we urge that this case be promptly dismissed in its entirety. Thank you, Your Honor. Very well. All right, I'll take the matter under advisement and render my ruling as quickly as possible. So I understand the time constraints. So thank you all for your participation. Thank you, Your Honor. All right, Mr. Cancon. What's up? Nothing much, man. My kid is sleeping. My wife's not home, so uh, if he wakes, oh, up, I got I got to jump. But at least you're here. Um, <clears throat> so we're gonna give a little commentary here, and I've invited Mr. Behizzi as well, but he didn't text me back. So, um, so what did you think? What did you think of the hearing? 
Um, I thought it was incredibly ironic that now all of a sudden pro VNV are supposed experts after all of 2020. They were like, we don't need to do audits. The experts already did the audits. Pro VNV came in and did it. And now all of a sudden they're like, yeah, pro VNV, they're not really experts when referring to Clay Perik, uh, who we've had on our shows a, a few times lately. Um, th- their hypocrisy is glaring, man. Uh, yeah. I think Kurt Olson did an excellent job laying out the numbers. Um, the rebuttals to it were just, you know, the same old crap that we've heard. Go ahead. You got he's, something? He's, he's starting to cry. Uh-oh. Sorry, man. I'll be right back. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Uh, so a lot of what we, we heard is just the same old, same old crap. You know, uh, I'm a little bit worried about this judge and whether he's going to have the intestinal fortitude to actually do something. Um, they use a lot of, I don't know, the legal jargon, so to speak, intentionality and attacks on it, uh, attacks on the, the case that Kurt Olson made. You know, it's just, it's, th- this is all going to boil down to does this judge have the guts to actually do something about this and let a case get heard for once, just for once? Let's do it. You can't dismiss this on standing. You can't dismiss this on latches. You can't dismiss this on any, any procedural stuff. Uh, you know, they followed it to the T. Um, the, the question is going to boil down to do they have the guts? Do they want to hear this? Do they want to hear about the chain of custody from Runbeck to the Met Tech Center? Do they want to hear about uh, Clay Perique saying that this has to be intentionally done? Um, you know, they talked about the printers and that they weren't supposed to be certified. Well, you know, I, I know that and they, they went on to say that Kurt Olson said it's not part of the case. Well, it, it really should be. Uh, anything that touches the system and the, the ballot on demand printers not only touch the system through the poll books, but they also, uh, touch the system when they print a ballot and give the tabulators certain orders, so to speak. You know, there can be, I, I talked about this with Clay Perique. There can actually be, uh, orders, so to speak. I don't, I don't know the, the exact term, but the, the barcodes that these ballots have can actually be used to tell the machines how to do something. Uh, the tabulators. So a lot of problems there. Um, I was kind of, I'm just filling in for Nick right now, by the way, while he's taking care of, uh, the wild one, Van Michael. Uh, some of the things that I picked up on, I, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, folks. I was, I was on my Badlands media show with, uh, over with with John Harold, and then from there, um, I started picking up about halfway through. I realized Nick was streaming it, and I was like, oh, "I'll just jump on with Nick." I, so if you were watching on my stream, I put it up, and then saw Nick was doing it already, and I took it down right away. I'm sorry, I don't mean to step on people's toes. Um, so going through my my Truth Social over here, uh, three level two managers checked over ten thousand ballots per day for signature verification. That was really uh, interesting point that, that Kurt Olson made in that. Um, that means you have these guys checking 3,600 ballots per day, three people checking. A, he, he said the number comes out to about 3,600 ballots per day. Now, assuming that they're working, you know, an eight, maybe even a 10 hour day, you know, the number's astronomical. It comes down to like 20 or 30 seconds per ballot to look up a signature Pull that signature, compare it with the one that you're looking at, do your analysis and all that stuff. It's it's insane. Y'all good now? Kind of. I got so he's he's playing on the floor here. And this <laughs> was I knew this was gonna be difficult from the start, but I didn't see anybody else live streaming it. So I set it up on the fly and hoped that uh she would be home by now. But anyways, so <clears throat> yes, um 
Mr. Brnovich was the one that told us in, I think, the, the 2020 election, when, when they did the math, each signature was verified uh, with, with the time allotted like three seconds each. Yeah. Right? So did we get the number for this election? No. But uh, Kurt Olson was alluding to the level two managers, uh, and there's only three of them for the whole county. Um, you know, are you talking, serious? Yeah, there's only three of them. Well, that's what he says. He says there's only three of them, and they didn't dispute that. Um, and and Kurt Olson said, I I think he said it was like twelve thousand eight hundred ballots per day that were uh you know coming through that 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 would get pushed up to that level. He said, even on the low end, that's 10,000 ballots per day that those, those managers are looking at right. daily. So I, I loved how their argument to refute uh, was the fact that, you know, the level one, the, the, those people don't actually reject signatures. They just flag them. Right. Okay. But we had managers at level two overriding 90% of them. So if, <laughs> if they're overriding 90% of them, there's something there that you can't deny that. It's interesting they didn't actually push back on that number. They just said, well, the level one people, they don't actually reject signatures. They just flag them. Okay, yeah. so you're telling me that they flagged 500,000 ballots and there's no issue there? Well, one of the things is they, they, they actually went on to say that the, 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 the refutation to that was that um, – this would be like a 25% to 50% error rate with mail-in ballots. We would know about that if we saw it. And it's like, did you not see what Liz Harris and James Knox did with the 2020 election when they did their canvassing? And you saw 30 to 50% anomalies, error rates. And that's exactly what this is. Like, they're starting to put together the case for themselves. You know, they even went as far as saying at one point that if, if Clay Perique does say that this is intentional, well, who is he accusing of doing it? And it's like, yes, thank you. Investigate. This <laughs> exactly. Is saying the whole time. Exactly. You know, Kurt Olson also pointed out the fact that you had, by our estimates, uh, two thirds of the machines breaking down and there was no investigation. I'm really glad that he said that uh, because it just goes to show. I mean, for something like that to happen and you don't even bother to look under the hood and see what the hell happened here, then that gives that gives plausibility to this assertion that it was intentional. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, also, uh, when you're when you're talking about going under the hood and looking at it, I, what's the problem in, 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 in looking at this? What is what is the what are they so afraid of? There, there's I mean, it's it's. I, I don't know, man. It's it's crazy how that that's the only thing that they have to go off of. That's their whole rebuttal to this is that there there was no problem. Oh, you know what I really liked was the uh, the 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 argument that because a judge didn't extend voting hours, therefore yeah. everything was on the up and up. It was fine. Yep. Right. Now, the, good. There was another one, and I was anticipating this because of you remember the letter that um, Jennifer Wright from the Attorney General's office sent. And then the county's attorney, Thomas Liddy, replied to that. Yes. I looked at his reply and I was like, I bet you everything in this letter is going to be their defense. Um, and it, and it, I, was, I, was, I was spot on with this one because they said that there's court precedent that even gross negligence, you know, massive blunders don't account. Uh, uh, they don't actually justify an election contest because you have to prove that it was intentional. So it's OK. 
by their by their view, they it's okay for fifty percent of the machines to break down, um, as long as it wasn't intentional. That's that's their argument. I mean, dude, like. I, I don't understand. Like, this is something that the supervisor of, ele- uh, excuse me, the chairman of the board of supervisors is telling you on election day, there's a massive problem. There's video of the lines that look like, I mean, you're a Floridian Disney World. It, it's like these lines. I mean, it's like going on Thunder Mountain or Space Mountain, you know, just you know, like just put a sign up a 90 minute wait from this point on. Can you get a fast pass to come yeah, back in? You know, I need a flash pass to vote. Yeah, yeah, I know, oh, man. man. But um, Element Nat $5 says, thanks for streaming this, Nick. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you know what's what's um what's really concerning me here is given the fact that Mark Fincham's lawsuit was was tossed out and dismissed, and most of that was because of latches. The county attorney, Katie Hobbs' attorney, they're using that again in this instance, and latches essentially means that you um <clears throat> you should have brought this election challenge earlier. Or here's here's what it means, right? So stuff like chain of custody, uh, signature verification process you know, chain of custody, all these procedural things. If you had a problem with that, you should have challenged that before the election. Because if you wait until afterwards, the only thing that it, 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 they're, they're saying that it makes it look like you're only challenging this because you lost, right? This was the process since 2019. Katie Hobbs election procedure manual has, has been written since 2019. So if you had a problem with the process and procedures, you should have challenged this earlier. And my, I, I'm glad that Kurt Olson laid this out. This is the part that uh, Mark Fincham's attorney failed to really identify as clearly as Kurt Olson. And that is the fact that latches doesn't apply here because it's not the, the, the procedures that were challenging. It's the fact that the procedures weren't followed. The law was broken. It's the law to maintain chain of custody. It's the law to to not allow non-matching signatures to to be approved. It, it's it's the law to certify uh, voting equipment and stuff like that. All Correct. of this stuff was broken. It's it's we we have twenty five thousand ballots that mysteriously appeared. The county tried to address that, um, but there's we, we have witnesses from from McTech. Uh, we have Runbeck employees. All of them are alleging that laws were broken. And so latches doesn't apply here. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I mean, this thing, this this time around, I mean, they people people were ready this time. I mean, between the whistleblowers inside of Runbeck, the Met Tech people, you know, I think one thing that we learned after 2020 is that we got to play a little bit dirty. And, uh, you know, with with everything that's coming out with the Twitter files right now, don't be surprised, you know, if there's if there's infiltration around other places. Uh, I don't know of any firsthand, but uh, when you have whistleblowers coming out like this one at Runbeck, uh, now we find out about the ties between Runbeck and the Maricopa, uh, or excuse me, the Arizona um, Speaker of the House. There, what's his name? Tomas Toma Toma Toma, whatever his name is, um, being tied. Well. Yeah, being tied to Runbeck through uh, through another board that they equally sit on. What is it? Precision Arrow, I believe. Gateway Pundit Jordan Conradson had an excellent excellent article about that that I was reading this morning. Um, yeah, man, we're starting to see it all kind of tie together. 
<clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think we are. Um, <clears throat> this, if this election challenge doesn't go to trial, then this just goes to prove that uh, it's 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 rigged. The entire system's rigged because you've you've laid out. I mean, th- their their initial argument was that systemic problems doesn't equal fraud. You have to prove fraud, and you have to prove intentional fraud that is large enough to affect the outcome. And they're trying to refute all the claims and say you haven't done that, so this shouldn't be accepted as an election challenge. Well, a lot of this stuff, we would need to go to trial. before, <laughs> You know, like, we need to look at the, the ballot signatures to determine if there was a bunch of mismatches for Katie Hobbs that got approved and stuff like that. We would have to investigate what happened with the, with the printer settings and and determine if it was intentional or not. So this whole argument, they want it, they want it dismissed before you get an evidentiary hearing, before you can actually inspect what happened. And that just doesn't make any sense. And did you notice at the end they're start they're already saying, you know, uh preserve stuff for, so that they can file sanctions when this is all said and done. Yep. They're already talking about that. Um, the, the defense came in and said, you know, their, their, their refutation to the fact that they're refuting to the fact that uh, uh, Katie Hobbs asked people, you know, asked executives to censor American citizens and their rebuttal was, Oh, Carrie Lake still has a voice. There's no question that she still has a voice. And they were just censoring misinformation. Well, you know, Let's let's let the people be the determination determining factor in what's misinformation. I just had an article up on the Gateway Pundit that talked about all the misinformation that they deemed was misinformation. And that was as of 2021. And looking back in hindsight, all of it was actually factual. You know, so their concept of what misinformation actually is, is 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 skewed by their own political biases. Yeah, but I I really don't I don't really don't care what Katie Hobbs was flagging. I don't Absolutely. care. This should this type of thing shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't have state actors reaching through uh, a big tech platform and and engaging with in in censorship. That should just never happen. And when you add that to the fact that Stephen Richer had a PAC uh, funding, you know, Carrie Lake's opposition. When you when you see Stephen Richer having meetings with CISA, the DHS, briefing them on how to better combat misinformation in this election, while also operating a PAC to go against America first candidates, then I think you've, you've proven beyond a reasonable doubt that this was this, this person um, and this, this person uh, manipulated the election through censorship. I don't know, man. I just, I don't, I don't really, I would have to say that that's probably not going to be a central uh, count that that stands in terms of of the election challenge, you know, because because they they have this private company thing on their side, and um, I don't know if that I don't know if that's going to be a central focus of the if this goes to an evidentiary hearing. I think it just adds it's like substantial evidence, or what's the word? supplemental ep- evidence? Uh, yeah. Well, look, man, they, they answered their own question. Somebody corrected me on saying refutation. It's refu- refutation. So uh, I, I'm just going to avoid that word altogether. I hate that word. Um, the defense, when they when they came back, man, they, they answered their own question. First off, they, they went after Clay Perique. And like I said earlier, you know, 
he's either an expert or he's not an expert. He worked for ProVMV for nine years. You know, we heard in the 2020 election when Cyber Ninjas was doing their audit that they already did an audit by the experts, the real auditors, the, the, the VSTL, the certified people, the EAC certified people. Okay. Well, here's one of those guys, Clay Parikh, who, by the way, was in Lake V Hobbs, uh, an expert witness in Lake V Hobbs, um, that, you know, was deposed and they didn't attack his credibility or anything like that. Uh, you know, based on his deposition there, but now all of a sudden he's given this, this testimony and says it's intentional and, and, oh, well, you know, if we were to refute his credentials, it would take pages and pages and pages. Well, good luck with that. I've gotten his credentials and he's got masters in, in cybersecurity. He, he, I mean, he works for uh, a North, Northrop Grumman now as a, as a chief cybersecurity um, executive, uh, you know, nine years with ProVNV worked for Wiley labs before that. The guy is an expert. He's 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 plain and simple. He's an expert. And, you know, uh, I mean, there was actually two instances where they they actually crapped on their own prior arguments. There was that. But there was also this 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 voter disenfranchisement thing. I mean, they said that 50 percent of the machines breaking down and four hour lines and people turning away on Election Day, that doesn't constitute Voter disenfranchisement. Voter disenfranchisement is, you know, back when uh, African-Americans were lynched, not just to uh, prevent them from voting, but to send a shockwave across their entire community. This argument that they're making, Kurt Olson and and Kerry Lake, is offensive to the court. But every time that we've tried to, uh, you know, uh, strengthen election security with voter ID laws or limiting drop boxes, then they scream voter suppression and voter disenfranchisement, and it's racist, and they cite the, the Ku Klux Klan Act. They just shat on the arguments that they've been making for two years. Yeah, that, that segment right there needs to be clipped. And uh, yeah, in fact, I, I missed that part because, like I said, I was doing another show this morning, so I missed, uh, I missed a good chunk of the beginning of this. I got to go back and clip that and write that up because that is – that is the epitome of the argument that they've been making for the last two years about bottled water in Georgia, you know, about uh, voter ID laws and all that stuff and disenfranchising African-American voters, black voters and minority voters. And and then they turn around and make the argument that it's lynching. Come on, man. Yeah. It's crazy, man. <laughs> oh. But uh, I guess as it as the saying goes, if they didn't have uh, what is it? Double standards, they'd have no standards at all. It's true. Something like that. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me, you know, that, that, that they're going to go and attack the former pro VNV employee after citing pro VNV as a credible expert in the, in the 2020 election. That kind of stuff doesn't surprise me anymore. Um, when you have, I mean, when you don't have a good argument, you have to come up with some argument. Yep. And oftentimes when you don't have a good argument, you end up hanging yourself in the prior things that you said. But, uh, Nobody appears to notice that except us. <laughs> um, it, it'll be interesting if, if 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 the judge picks up on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, hopefully he does. But um, you know, again, I don't. I like you always say. I don't want to take any more hopium, man. I, I'm, I'm coming off of it. I'm detoxing from all the hopium. Uh, but you know, the, like maybe I need a little fix right now. I gotta say, man, I think that Kurt Olson did a phenomenal job. Um, I was very taken back by Mark Fincham's attorney. I don't know if you watched that hearing, but basically what happened was Mark Fincham's attorney went to court at a, uh, at a hearing for dismissal. Uh, 
and said, well, per the Arizona statute, I don't even think dismissals are part of election challenges, and therefore, I don't even want to respond to the county's arguments for dismissal. And the judge was like, I'm sorry, but the Arizona Supreme Court has ruled on dismissals in the past. There's precedent. Clearly, these are part of election challenges. And he was like, oh, uh, well, I disagree. And she was like, okay, well, you're going to, are, are you going to argue <laughs> against the dismissal? And he was like, I guess I have to. So then he was arguing on the fly, like off the, off the top of his head and was just like completely caught off guard, didn't have solid arguments. And then the county was just like, well, we're not, I mean, <laughs> all of our stuff's on paper. We've submitted it to the court and we're going to let the, the, the papers speak for themselves and within hours, it was dismissed. So I don't want people to get um, this idea that because Mark Fincham's lawsuit was dismissed, this one's automatically going to be dismissed. It might. But I think Kurt Olson did a way, way better job. That's just my opinion. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, it's night and day difference. Kurt Olson came came ready and prepared today. Yes. And uh, to be fair, <clears throat> I think a lot of in these cases anymore, it's hard to get an attorney. A lot of people don't want to get sanctioned. They don't want a stain on their reputation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Kurt Olson, though, is a competent attorney. You know, he, he worked for Trump. He's, he's Mike Lindell's attorney. And I really think that if we did, if we did have a shot, um, I, I think Kurt Olson gave it to us. Let's pray, man. Let's just pray that this judge has the intestinal fortitude to do what's right and give the people an opportunity. Let's figure out who did it. Like the defense said, if this was intentional, let's figure out who did it. Who did it? You're not making any accusations. No, we're not because you can't accuse anybody. We don't know who did it yet. Let's do an investigation. Let's do it. Let's have yeah, a trial. Man. Yes. Now, I want, I, want, I want your opinion on this. Um, it, it's been like a revelation for me. In the past few election challenges that have come and looking at the dismissal from the judge and me me coming to this conclusion that I think that the problem we, we all we all assume that these judges are getting calls from George Soros and they're all bought off and they're corrupt and part of the swamp, blah, blah, blah. But when I look at these dismissals and I look at the judge's reasoning and I see the statutes that they cite, oftentimes I, I, I find myself agreeing with the judge because the way the statutes are written, that's where the game is rigged. The, the law that's been written around how you can challenge an election. What's, I mean, just the fact that um, you can only challenge an election within a five-day window after it's been certified, <laughs> that alone is, is I mean, it, it's built into the system. So if I were to find a, a video of... Uh, uh, Carrie Lake ballots being set on fire on day six. I can't bring a challenge. No, according to Arizona law, you can't. And uh, there's there's so many things that I've been I've been looking at and saying this it, it's built in <coughs> and it favors the the um, the bad actors. And then when it gets before a judge, they have no choice but to rule based on the statute. <coughs> Sorry, I'm still sick. No, it's good. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, there is nothing else in this world, no other crime that, that we face as humans. And let's be, let's be honest here. Election challenges are usually 
alluding to a crime or at least could be alluding to a crime in this case they are um can you imagine like if 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 you you murdered somebody or you robbed a store and they're like well you waited five days and and on day six you know even though we found now we found the firearm with his fingerprints and the gunshot residue and all that stuff now it's sorry it's six days the murder cannot be solved we don't care it's it's crazy that's the perfect analogy i didn't even think of that but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say that again when you're not here and act like i made it up (laughs) there you go all yours that makes perfect no i'm just kidding but that makes perfect sense man so well uh did towards the end i was kind of dealing with with the baby uh do you you think we'll get a decision today or is that going to be within a week or what no, no, no. Well, I mean, it, I don't think it'll be within a week because uh, the trial's set to begin on Wednesday if he if he allows oh, that's it to right. go. So it should be today. Um, you know, all we can do is, uh, you know, I've got my people on the ground out there that when a decision comes in, <laughs> let them talk. When a decision comes in, uh, we'll let you know. And, um, you know, just follow us over on True Social. That's probably where you'll get the quickest update. I'm at CanCon and you're at Nick Mosita, right? Yes, sir. Oh, he wants to say something. You want to say a few words? Say. No, he wants to eat my microphone. No, you can't do that. <laughs> well, he's been really good, so I gotta, uh, I gotta take that, you know, for what it's worth, and wrap this up because you know, if I try to milk it too much, then I'm gonna regret it. But so, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to go to Rumble.com/slash/CanCon. Make sure to subscribe here, and I'm sure we'll set up another show once we get a decision just to go into you know further detail and break things down for you. But remember, no matter what happens, there's an appeal process. All right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, well, Mr. CanCon, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. And uh, thank you all for watching out there, and I will see you next time. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new eBooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home 
Homes Wall Outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare Flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.